Hi, y'all. I'm Bernie. I'm Evie. And you're listening to Woke Woke Docs, a podcast about the lives of women of color in medicine and health justice. Today, we are excited for you to listen to a legendary activist, educator, and our beloved friend, Margot Okazawa Ray. Margot was a founding member of the Kambahi River Collective and an international advocate working on issues of militarism, armed conflict, and violence against women. In this episode, we remark on Margot's journey into and through activism for liberation and joy. We discuss how local healthcare injustices that undermine compassionate patient care in the United States are connected to global movements against human rights. We also talk about the revolutionary power of loving human relationships that are incredibly necessary during these difficult times. Ultimately, Margot's message is clear. We need each other, we need more freedom spaces, and we must move through the world with joy and love. So let's dance and celebrate this life, y'all. Stay woke and enjoy today's episode. Okay, so today's check-in question, because you know we love to start with a check-in. We love our check-ins. Is, what is a recent, deeply satisfying experience that affirms your purpose in life? That's when we know Margot is in the house, Exactly. (laughs) Because we said, what should our check-in question be? And Margot came up with this beautiful, very specific check-in question. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw it to you first, Bernie. What is a recent, deeply satisfying experience that affirms your purpose in life? Oof. Wow. Actually, when you just asked that question, another deeply satisfying experience came up. So I'm just going to remark on two. First is that for the past month, I've really been um, thinking more about how I give so much of my time and my week to other people, but how oftentimes when I wake up or go to sleep, um, I feel like I haven't had time in my day for myself. Mm -hmm. So now I wake up actually two to three hours earlier than I would, and um, I've done this amazing meditation for around 20, 30 minutes, and... um, have also written out affirmations and so verbally looking at myself in the mirror and talking about different affirmations related to my values, um, authenticity and dedication and growth and knowing that I can carry those out every single day. And um, that hour, two hours doing that is so fulfilling to me. I don't even, (laughs) it's just, it's so grounding to me to like have that time to just ease into my morning and to dedicate that time to um, cultivating this exercise of awareness that I think I've cultivated so many different things, whether that's my mental, physical health, but to really cultivate an awareness and a presence in everyday life Mm -hmm. um, has been something that's ebbed and flowed. And so for me to just have that consistency for the past um, few weeks has just been incredible. And I feel like I'm exuding light. Like, mm. when, and I can see it, you know, when I interact with strangers, like, it's just the vibe and the energy. And I'm like, wow, like, I'm really on some other level. Like, the other weekend, I was in downtown Oakland. People were saying good morning to me. And it was just like, it's, it's really just like this centeredness that I feel. So I feel very affirming with that. And, The other thing that I wanted to mention was that we're launching the Freedom Community Clinic, um, and that is basically attempting to and doing this integration of the strengths of 
um, indigenous ancestral healing practices alongside the strengths of Western medicine and bringing it directly to existing spaces and places where the community already gathers and celebrates. And we were supposed to have our first clinic at the Malcolm X Jazz Festival in East Oakland. Unfortunately, it got rained out, but you know what? In three weeks ago, we had no practitioners. And over the past three weeks now, we have over 50 people in our network. 50 people want to come out for all of our clinics this summer and our workshops. And it's just, that's so affirming, you know what I mean? For, for people all over to really just like, for people to come through for the community and also to realize that there are so many, pe so many places out here that really need us as doctors and physicians to um, come to where the community already is. Yep. And so mm. that's been awesome. Mm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Those are both deeply satisfying <laughs> experiences. That is, that is yeah. deeply satisfying. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that question. Wow. So I'm going to pass this to Margo, okay. the originator um, of this question. Yeah. So um, I actually have two, too. One is kind of <laughs> superficial, but deep in, in, a, in a way. I'll save that for a second so we can laugh a little bit. But the first one is um, I'm reading student, student papers, final... Um, what I call integrative um, essays, and uh, the purpose is for them to talk about things they've learned uh, in my class, key concepts things uh, and things they've learned about themselves. And this student, um, I was reading the, her paper uh, on, on the airplane when I was coming home yesterday, and I wept um, because I was so moved by the kind of self-reflection that um, she documented in this paper, you know, the way she explained the concepts we had talked about in class, um, and um, the vision. I asked them also to not just um, uh, talk about concepts and themselves, but also what's their vision of genuine security. Mm. And, um, and she was a student who was pretty quiet, you know, didn't really talk much. Young white woman comes from relative privilege, I think. And um, what she wrote on that paper just kind of blew my mind because it showed that it was a real kind of a body, mind, spirit connection that was um, that was exuding from the paper. And uh, she ended with this beautiful Adrian Rich quote. And you know, she's probably twenty. You know. Which twenty-year-old is reading Adrian Rich? <laughs> you know, it's, she's kind of more like my generation. You know, um, uh, and so in that moment, I thought, oh, it is possible to do one intergenerational work. You know, with mm -hmm. students, where I've learned from her as well, and um, that one thing she said in the paper is that you know, the rhetorical questions. Um, that I posed in the class, and that's kind of one of my main pedagogical, you know, tools in a sense. But it's kind of become my way of life. I think um, was really affirming that it's not just giving information. I actually do very little of that, but asking people to think for themselves and look around at the world around them and and generate theories from practices and experiences. Mm -hmm. So that was that was really powerful and then <laughs> the superficial one was I was looking at um these old photographs of me in the 70s, you know, when I was in my 20s. I never ever thought of myself as as attractive. 
you know, um, quite the contrary. And I was thinking about, you know, when I looked at those photographs, I could hardly believe they were me. Mm-hmm. And then I, it got me thinking about how racism and, you know, intersecting with race, uh, sexism kind of really undermines um, uh, young women's, you know, confidence if you mm-hmm. don't look a particular way. And I de- certainly don't. You know, and I never thought back then, I don't even think it now, is, you know, that I'm attractive. And um, this is really weird to be saying this on this podcast, <laughs> but it's it's thinking about the impacts of the wider world and systems of oppression and um, the isms that get so deeply embedded in us or we Mm. internalize it so much Mm -hmm. from very young, right? And how we look, it seems like a very superficial thing, Mm -hmm. but it actually shapes, you know, how we think about ourselves and our value given the kind of society we live in. So Mm -hmm. thanks for both the superficial and the the meaningful one, but both, I would say, over to you. All right. Those were both also deeply satisfying, I feel like. Deeply satisfying. Mine is completely different. Um, But one of the things that I feel like are very essential to me is is having a way to express myself in a creative manner. So uh, about a month ago, my fellow (laughs) UCSF medical school classmates, Mm -hmm. uh, we created a music video Mm-hmm. where I was lucky enough to participate and uh, co-choreograph <laughs> and sing with some of my classmates to make this music video, basically just trying to recruit new, newly accepted medical students to UCSF. And it was really just awesome to see the response and the love that we got. Uh, one of the reasons why I love to sing and dance so much is because we're just like performing in general. It's because I love to see the joy that it brings to other people. And obviously it brings joy to myself too, but just sort of seeing like the outpouring of the support and just the love and seeing how many people related to it and felt inspired by it just reminded me to continue doing that type of work Mm -hmm. Um, because I think it's very easy to just, you know, get involved in the medicine and love it and just do that or just do other things, but like maybe not keep that other creative part of yourself. And considering dancing is something that I've been doing since I was two or three and singing uh, no formal training, but just something that I really love to do and love to annoy my friends by singing constantly, um, <laughs> like pretty much all my life. Um, having the opportunity to actually like harness those like skills or talents that I have and bring joy to people, that was really awesome. And so doing that music video, creating that inspired me to try to keep this up more. And so last week I got together with some of my classmates as well and just was like, hey, I really want to dance today. Like, do you guys want to dance? Like, yeah, sure. And so then we just came up, came to the gym after class and uh, (laughs) came up with some choreo to a Lizzo song. uh, And it was just so much fun. And I just felt so refreshed and so like revitalized afterwards because it was just in my head and I wanted to make something and sort of, I just... Mm. I made this little, this little dance, which is just this little mini work of art. It was and hot, y'all. Yeah. It was hot. <laughs> it really I showed it was. to Bernie and Margot <laughs> before we started the podcast. We were cheering. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just been really awesome, and I think that's been 
that's been deeply satisfying, finding time to still have those creative uh, artistic outlets, mm -hmm. which is something that I never really wanted to get rid of. And Great. it's always been something that I, yeah, like I was like, I want to be a doctor, but I want to sing and dance too. And so it was we really cool that. that. We need uh, that. I had the opportunity to do that. And yes. that's been one of my deeply satisfying experiences, um, affirming my purpose. Like I can bring joy through these these talents that I have. So that yes. was really awesome. Joy and healing. Yes, Thank indeed. You. And if I'd, you know, uh, been one of those applicants who had been accepted to UCSF and had seen that video, <laughs> I would be there today. Be there today, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Margot. Today, yes. today. Yes. Not yes. wait till September. Yes. You know? All our listeners need to definitely check out the UCSF Accepted Students Weekend video. That, that shit was hot, y'all. It was featured on local news for a reason. It's awesome. Thank and you, Jam. Thank you. Evie's yeah. the center of it, so we are grateful to have all these rock star powerhouse people in the room, and especially our guests. Especially our guests. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. Yes. Our beloved Margo. Margo, we are so grateful to have you in this space, and um, I always just love recounting how we met, just because it just really reminds me of just like the magic of just familiarity mm -hmm. and energy and mm -hmm. love. Um, and just for our listeners, we, I had done a program at the East Bay Meditation Center a while ago, and as many of you know, the Freedom School has been um, such a wonderful movement and community um, since last January. And one of our, one of my mutual friends had given me an email introduction to Margo because of our intersecting work, and. The first time I met Margo was over Skype. Yeah. And it was during our <laughs> second ever Freedom School gathering. It was with like eight people in this tiny room. And we just kind of had this idea and passion that we knew that the Freedom School needed to happen. And it was just, it was beautiful, even virtual. And then... It was, yes. Yes. And I, we totally felt that. Yep. January of, uh, 18, of 18, 2018. Yeah. yeah. And then a year, a year later is when we finally met in person we had gotten sponsorship from the berkeley center for race and gender our community has grown to you know over 100 people who have come in and out of our community and i remember we had started our gathering and i was like oh margo will come through and right when i saw margo come in um, to join our gathering initially we just embraced and we hugged like we had known each other forever forever <laughs> <laughs> and i think that just really speaks to again the familiarity, and so I'm really grateful for that, Margo. Yeah, and shared values mm. and shared purpose. Yeah. Right? We're in this boat together, the three of us. And Evie, we just met today. Oh. And I was already <laughs> teasing you. I'm going to say, <laughs> <laughs> yes, just met Margo today, and she came hey. ready like we had known each other for a minute. Because Hung out on the pepperoni, y'all. Yeah, coming for the food I was eating. She was cracking jokes. I was like, okay. <laughs> Like, this is a friend here, so yeah. I'm all for that familiarity and yeah. embracing that. And I yeah. appreciate that you came here with that positive energy and just the mm -hmm. openness to get Thank to know you. me. Mm -hmm. Another thing Margot asked when she first, went, literally within two minutes of meeting me, was, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm a first-year medical student at UCSF. She's like, no, who are you? Like, I want to know, like, who you really are. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just met you. I'm not ready to answer this. But uh, I just think that that inquiring mind and that uh, openness to get to know people is a really valuable mm -hmm. uh, 
thing. And so I'm grateful that you have it. And I'm excited for our friendship too. Next hey, time hey, I see you. I'm ready. I want to hug too. Yes. 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 Well, we can hug after the show. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait. Our listeners are going to miss out on that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, and what's also, again, really awesome, Margo, is that um, you have been a teacher and a mentor, especially as we are both going into medicine and advocates for health justice and we're really hoping to expand and make this conversation really as interdisciplinary as possible Mm -hmm. as possible because we know that healing comes from so many different forms exactly yeah yeah and so um the first question we had um really thinking in our minds was what brought you to your activism and your um avid pursuit for justice and liberation Mm -hmm. So first of all, um, I'm almost 70. I'm just absolutely yes, delighted are. that I'm, you know, kind of going on this tour, so to speak, of mm-hmm. reaching my 70th birthday, which is at the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking during that time, my purpose for doing the, the, the work that I do has really shifted. And you asked me, Bernie, how I got into it. It was very personal. You know, it was about sort of my own existence, who am I as a mixed race, uh, uh, um, uh, African-American father, Japanese uh, mother, Japanese from Japan. Um, you know, I was born in Japan, Japanese culture, Japanese language was at the foundation, you know, and uh, we came to the States, our whole family came to the States when I was um, 10, 1960, you know, part of the country that Looking back now, you know, it's not um, necessarily the most welcoming place for people of color, um, but it was America, right? And so just from the age 10 on, just sort of figuring out where's my place, you know, and at different times really trying to fit into expected norms and, you know, all of that. And I did that all through, I went to an all-black high school in Dayton, Ohio, which was fabulous, um, but I didn't really fit in, you know, because I'm mixed race. Um, the black power movement, um, you know, you got to be black, and I, I inferred from that that you couldn't really be mixed, mm-hmm. and uh, I was not prepared to kill off my mom, mm-hmm. um, uh, metaphorically speaking, and I'm not even saying that was expected, but that was sort of the black power nationalist separatist moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, then I was just kind of chugging along, you know, passing in some ways, you know, oh, you look Hawaiian. Yeah, I am Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever, but just trying not to make waves. And um, But when I came out as a lesbian, there was no more places that I could fit in. That was kind of the last place that I might have had a shot at fitting in, you know, around um, being uh, straight, fitting into the heteropatriarchal structure expectations. And so um, I said, okay, Margo, there's no place where, um, any place, any one place where people like you um, can fit in or you can fit in. And so I said to myself, well, since that is the case, I want to be part of helping create spaces for people like me who don't necessarily have places to fit. Mm-hmm. And that was the initial kind of impetus for for it, just very deeply personal, 
but at the same time concerned about other people like me, in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, it was the time of the women's liberation movement. There were lots of uh, feminists, budding feminists, you know, all kinds of people. Um, and I want to go on record here that the early women's liberation movement was not a white women's movement. Mm. And I think our stories as various um, women of color, you mm-hmm. know, have been kind of wiped out by and reinforced by people even in our own communities, mm-hmm. you know, that keep saying, oh, it was a white women's movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Third World Women's Alliance, mm-hmm. which is very active here on the West Coast, mm-hmm. the Combahee River Collective, you know, all kinds of formations, mm-hmm. right, were doing the work of uh, women's liberation, taking into account not just singular individualistic pursuits, but sort of collective liberation, right, for our communities. So it didn't, it may not have looked like the liberal white feminists, mm-hmm. but we were there, and I want you know, listeners to <laughs> really stop saying it was a white women's movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I want Note that, that laid to yeah. Yep. I want that laid to rest. And if you don't believe me, go read. You know, Paula Giddings. Go read Combahee River Collective Statement, mm-hmm. Third World Alliance. You mm-hmm. know, etc. Yep. Yeah. So it was all about me mm-hmm. uh, and people like me. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the decades. Um, it's really shifted to just a fundamental commitment to loving life, loving people, um, and being of service. You know, that's my purpose in life. I, 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 you know, I know that. I've known it for since I was 11. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. But. What catapulted that shift? Has it been gradual? or? Yes, it has been gradual. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The shift has come from being in so many different settings and situations where I can't say in very simplistic or essentialist ways, you know, this is how oppression works, or these are the, you know, oppressed peoples, um, the oppressed peoples in capital T and capital O, Mm -hmm. but that the forces that caused the oppression of black people in the U.S., African-Americans in particular in the U.S., are the same forces that are wreaking havoc uh, in Southeast Asia Mm. or Palestine or Korea or, you know, in Colombia, Central America. You know, it's the same forces of neoliberalism, militarism, um, greed, Greed for power, greed for material accumulation, uh, and the greed that causes um, uh, that it, um, um, motivates transnational corporations, you know, national leaders to dig into the earth and dig up stuff and to steal indigenous people's land and um, to you know take bodies as another extraction and, you know, move them around. So women from the Philippines, mm-hmm. and not just women, but, you know, f- I think it's still around 40%, 50% of uh, people f- in the Philippines are forced to move. Yeah. You know, we see the crisis of uh, people from Honduras um, most lately trying to cross the U.S. border, people from Guatemala, and certainly um, people from Mexico. So it's kind of all the same forces, and seeing them, seeing these people, um, activists and, and talking and 
being with them has really made me think about how important it is to love life. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, of course, you know, resisting and doing the analysis and, and all of that and creating theories and doing the activist work. But I think loving life and loving people is the are the purposes mm -hmm. you know they're the mm -hmm. they're the motivators for me um of why i love the work i do why i continue to do it um and um so now instead of i'm doing it to create places for myself and people like me mm -hmm. it is i'm doing the work because i love life and mm -hmm. it's been over the decades where i've come to to learn that right and that um uh, we are not promised tomorrow, and so we have to every day do the best we can, mm -hmm. right? Um, and be our best selves, not just so we can say, oh, I'm a great person, you know, or anything like that, but to say we're being our best selves so that we can bring out the best in each other and people can bring out the best in mm, us, yes. right? Mm -hmm. it's, there's a deep kind of mutuality and reciprocity in mm -hmm. that. Reminds me of what Bernie was saying about her deeply satisfying experience uh, with the meditation and sort of how you noticed the energy that you were receiving was different. Yes, yes. exactly. And when you exude something, then you exactly. get it. You receive it back. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so right. That was yes, very beautiful. You know, and one mm -hmm. one good you know uh, way to do that, I think, is be genuinely curious about who is standing in front of you, mm -hmm. whether it's the checkout you know, at the car wash where I just came from or, <laughs> you know, anywhere in everyday life, yeah. like just wondering, so who is this person? Who are you? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and especially about people we're not supposed to pay attention to, just ordinary people mm -hmm. who, because we are middle class, mm -hmm. you know, help us go through our day, mm -hmm. right? The checker person, the hotel person, wherever, all these, quote, service people, mm -hmm. right, who actually we can learn so much about life from. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I sometimes will put myself in those people's shoes. I'm just like, I wonder who's waiting for them at home when they get off of work. Or yes. I wonder what, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of, it's very easy to just not pay them any mind, just continue, like, staying in your own world. Mm -hmm. And I know I do that all the time, and I'm sure we all do that at some points, but it's nice when you're able to stop and, like you said, be genuinely interested in who they are as a person mm -hmm. and just think like, this is someone who may be a mother or a father or, mm -hmm. you know, a caretaker or mm -hmm. whatever. And just mm -hmm. think of them as that person and just that they have things that they are also offering mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. and their own core values and, mm -hmm. you know, just exactly. consider all those things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Each and every single person, that right. person who just shoved you walking down the sidewalk, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Every single mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. can have that. Mm -hmm. So that's important to remember. I think it is. Absolutely. And um, I'm amazed, Bernie, as, as you have been, that, you know, whatever energy you put out is what comes back to you. Comes back. Right? And that's not saying that racism and sexism mm -hmm. and homophobia and all those things are not present. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? But I think if you approach with a slightly, just even a slightly different tenor, then something else comes back, you know. So I don't want to be Pollyannish about this, but that's been my experience. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. But I also don't inhabit a black male body, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I have gray hair now. You know, I'm not threatening in 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 all those stereotypical ways. Mm-hmm. So I want to honor that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and and to say. You know, it's not simply that I have good energy, but also the right. way I present physically has a lot to do also with what mm-hmm. comes back. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to dismiss sure. the um, uh, all the other experiences. Mm-hmm. It's a complex world. Very. And we're all meant to be here, though. Yes. You we know are. what I mean? We, yeah. yeah, we definitely are. Yeah. I had sent EVA this, this podcast episode, but I just wanted to pull out some quotes that oh, I yes, love. Yes, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm yes. excited. <laughs> but it just talks more about kind of this um, in relation to each other as we cultivate ourselves and really see other people as being equal and worthy of this interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. They, um, Marianne Williamson basically says, relationships are laboratories for the spirit. They're hospitals for the soul. And our salvation lies in being available for the healing of the other. Mm. and isn't that beautiful and um (laughs) just this last quote is this relationship is not just for me to get what i want but so that we may be collaborative in serving the flow of love through us for all living things amen and then we serve something higher than ourselves oh Mm. yeah yeah and that's what you had pointed out when we had a first met in person is kind of just the shared purpose or something yeah. beyond ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know we're here for a purpose, right? To be mm-hmm. on this planet. And that quote just kind of captures it. And I'm thinking, you know, as we're talking that, um, you know, he, we're ex- ex- um, exchanging sort of one set of experiences. And simultaneously, though, it's also important for us to remember that, you know, right now in so many places in the world, there's this huge force of repression mm-hmm. and suppression, yeah. right? Whether you're talking about journalists or academics, um, activists, um, and it's, it's so um, consistent, and we see this in the U.S. for sure, um, you know, in the ways that um, um, just a, a real close example is... Um, I'm on the board of directors of the Highlander Center, which is a social, almost 90-year-old social justice organization. And about a month ago, um, there was an incident um, where um, white nationalist um, folks came in the early dawn of of the day and burned down one of our buildings. And it's kind of a literal suppression in that sense, but also metaphorical, right? And... um, our situation, although it was terrible for us, is, you know, just uh, scale-wise, really small compared to what's happening in other places in the world. Mm. Um, and so thinking about the ways in which um, the repression uh, and suppression of human rights defenders, of activists, of any kind of... Um, resistance to the dominant paradigm of neoliberalism and racism, heteropatriarchy, etc., you know, we're, we're being met with great force, you know, all the anti-abortion stuff that's coming down in, mm-hmm. in this country. Um, 
it's happening reproductive you know um, justice is is an issue uh, you know in so many places around the world and I think it's really important for us especially in the U.S. to connect these dots Mm -hmm. it's not all about us you know what's happening here but really to see that the repression here is happening in um, other parts of the world and um I just got news from uh, somebody in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, who sort of told us the news about um, a transnational feminist in Turkey who um, was just um, uh, sentenced to 25 um, months in prison, right, mm-hmm. for her feminist activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then <laughs> I was thinking about that's kind of the most direct kind of repression. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, for example, of um, the um, Ayes Ghoul is her name, A-Y-S-E-G-U-L. Um, but I think in places like the U.S., um, another way that I think certain kinds of repression is happening, and since you all are med students, I want to talk about health care. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the neoliberal paradigm is, you know, putting so many people's health care at risk. Not that we ever had a brilliant health care system in this country. It's always been an exceptional system. There's not really been any part of it that's universal, you know. Um, and so, um, and it's gotten worse, I think, you know, with um, the collusion of the pharmaceuticals, and I've noticed even in my own experiences with an amazing doctor, right? Um, Dr. Caroline Schreiber, I'll say her name, um, uh, is a, a general practitioner. Um, my, my GP, and I've you know, been with her for many years now. And I've seen over the years how her practice of medicine has shifted um, from um, you know, having more kind of hands-on to needing to be kind of uh, connected to the computer and typing in things, Mm -hmm. and I know she has to do that. That's the admin part of it. And then I can, quote, talk to her later through logging (laughs) into my health or whatever that thing is, (laughs) right, and asking questions, and she can send it back. Now, to her credit, you know, she always remember something about me, um, so it's not complete like a blank screen. Um, she always, you know, um, takes the time to find out, you know, how I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. But she's one of the best, I feel. And mm-hmm. I don't know how other people, other doctors who don't have that kind of commitment, um, I don't know how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know the practice of it. Mm-hmm. And I just came back from um, Switzerland yesterday and was talking to two of my friends who are medical doctors. Um, and they were describing the same thing, you know. And there they're, they have the public system, but they also have the private um, uh, uh, health care part, which is just like the U.S., right, the public and the private. And she was saying how... Um, she has to do both just to kind of keep up uh, financially, I guess. Um, but in the private system, she was talking, she gave an example of a woman who was given a, a five, I don't know, five thing 
bypass surgery, heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, she couldn't, the, the, the patient was okay. She was having problems. But then overnight, she had to have this surgery mm-hmm. at this private clinic, right? And my friend couldn't believe that overnight she would need that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, so just this push for um, uh, profit making uh, in in medicine and the lack of a universal con- system that really takes care of people, regardless of whatever the ailment is, they would get the best care. Um, it's been really depressing. And I think the connection to repression is that it's not so direct, mm-hmm. like against human rights defenders and feminists, mm-hmm. you know, who are really pushing against the state or resisting certain kinds of uh, inequalities. But it's more subtle, mm-hmm. right? It's hegemonic mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, the way Gramsci talked about it is many of us, the general population, people in a society, kind of more or less saying, yeah, we agree with that. You know, yeah, we do think that private private health care is better than public. Mm-hmm. You know, we do believe that um, these kind of high-tech interventions are going to really help us, mm-hmm. right? That's Those are hegemons telling us to believe something, and we've bought into it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, if we have universal health care, then everybody's standards are going to go down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is so... Um, um, doesn't have to be true, mm-hmm. right? We've seen how in the U.S. when things are for marginalized people in, in the public sphere, it is, you know, lower quality, in quotes, mm-hmm. right? Because of the lack of investment, mm-hmm. not because the practitioners are worse, you know, or anything like that, right? Quite the contrary. I think some of the most dedicated practitioners are in public, you know, centers because they really believe in providing services, mm-hmm. right? For those communities. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they're not supported, right? And so, we, you know, one of the questions as a teacher is how do we, how do I have my students really understand this concept of hegemony mm-hmm. and the ways that we buy in to the dominant narratives, the master narratives about what's real, what's mm-hmm. important, mm-hmm. in the example of medicine, what's good health care, um, in the example of education, you know, what's good education? Um, what's a good community? What is security? Like all these master narratives mm-hmm. are actually undermining our relationships, undermining our beliefs and our capacities to um, exercise our agency, and most of all, undermining the critical importance of sturdy relationships mm-hmm. among us. Mm-hmm. Right, so that we can create the kind of changes we want to create. That's the master narrative, mm-hmm. as I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's not the direct repression in this country, right, that's got us down. It's the individualism of the master narrative, right? It's the othering of the master narrative. Mm. Um, and all those things that three of us in this room know and experience deeply, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm just kind of going on here. <laughs> no, I was <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I like the way you talked about how it's not necessarily direct, like this, the sort mm-hmm. of the subversive ways in which it affects us. And when you said, um, 
what did you say? Like how it affects our ability to think that we can make a change or it's like, oh, this is just what everyone does. Like I, I can't really go against this. Mm-hmm. We can't of, fight City Hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's like, an old saying, but you know, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. just like, wow, how many things in my life do I think that mm-hmm. I can't change because, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is just how it's done and I just have to accept right. this mm-hmm. for what it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how that's taking mm-hmm. away my own agency. Mm-hmm. Right. I think not only what neoliberalism and the hegemony thing does is like not only can you not change this, not only can you not change it, but this master narrative tells us like it's not your responsibility to because you should prioritize yourself. Like exactly the state, like that's not the government's job to like mm-hmm. provide health care. Like we'll s- it's so interesting when I was beginning to learn more about neoliberalism and I was always in the mindset too of like oh NGOs doing so much work you know in the third world in the U.S. so great but also these can be functions of neoliberalism and yeah they are functions of neoliberalism that really take away public responsibility to actually provide for all people Mm. and really um yeah and really Mm -hmm. try to change the narratives of like who really should be taken care of right and it's it's so subtle and it's reframed in such a way that is um it's crazy yeah you Mm -hmm. know in the old days that is the 60s and 70s (laughs) you know there was a there was a concept called poverty pimps Mm -hmm. and that was a concept used to really critique the ways in which these so-called um um War on poverty, for example, was a big thing that came out of the civil rights movement in the mid-60s or urban you know, um, development. All these professionals who made a name for themselves you know, in the, in, you know, with the, quote, uh, intention of helping people, right? Actually, they benefited more from those programs and policies than many of the people they, they were intended to help, mm-hmm. right? And um, you can apply that same idea to the humanitarian aid industry, mm-hmm. you know, between the global north and the global south, um, where, you know, much more is taken out of the south than is given. Mm. Uh, and just even the ways in, in which international NGOs operate, for example, mm-hmm. or um, donor countries, mm-hmm. donor institutions, right, give money, but they're taking much more out of it. So... Mm-hmm. You know, they um, usually travel with their own professionals, right, who make a lot. They destroy the economies if they're there. In a long time, they distort the economies. Mm. The, the places that get funding have to buy, for example, if you get funding from the European um, mm-hmm. Union, you have to buy the European Union products, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, or yeah, the World so Bank, the, you yeah. have the Bamako Initiative that right. completely decentralized all of um, of the African healthcare governments, right? To and yeah, so right, yeah. And so structural adjustment, mm-hmm. you know, which is Structu- what you're exactly. referring to, mm-hmm. is very alive, not just in the in the global south, but mm-hmm. in the U.S. But we don't mm-hmm. call it that. We call it, um, right. let's say, uh, healthcare reform. We call it educational reform. We mm-hmm. call it welfare reform. But if you looked at the essence of it, it's exactly the same thing that's happened you know, um, in relation to the World Bank and the IMF and the, in the countries of the global south. Privatization, mm-hmm. underfund, useful um, uh, social services, education, health care, et cetera, 
right? Deregulation, all of those are kind of hallmarks of um, structural adjustment. We never call it that here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because if we did, we'd have to just take a look and say, wait a minute, it's not reform. Mm-hmm. It's sort of benefiting the corporations, you know, through privatization, mm-hmm. benefiting um, uh, the, the corporations again, you know, through um, deregulating labor, you know, punishing unions, you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. And so as women of color doctors, soon to be doctors, mm-hmm. who kind of live in this area of a double consciousness, mm-hmm. what what do we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> First of all, you all need to stick together. <laughs> okay. Right. And the systems we operate in are divisive and individualistic. Mm-hmm. And they're going to mm-hmm. tell you you're not anything if you can't do anything by yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And most of the good stuff doesn't come from just one Lone Ranger hero, you know, mm-hmm. doing stuff. Right. There's always people. And particularly as women of color, I think, um, you know, um, LGBT, you know, whatever your various identities are, you have to stick together, not just around your oppressions, because Mm -hmm. as June Jordan says, you know, join together around the oppressions is Mm -hmm. about as predictable as the weather. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need to be join together because you believe in something, mm-hmm. right? You believe in excellent health care for your patients, people in your communities. You believe in um, life that's worth living, you know, that there are things like art and music. You know, you talked about that, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about your dancing, uh, your videos and, and dance, mm-hmm. right? That you're, you are united because you share a common vision mm-hmm. of justice, transformation, you know, um, fulfilling our, our, our potential uh, in a life-destroying culture. And, uh, you know, um, uh, and so that's the unification, mm-hmm. right? Not because you are women of color or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And you say mm-hmm. there may be white people who are more down than, you know, people we think should be down with us, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those. So it's not just Mm -hmm. about specific identities, although Mm -hmm. they have a place, Mm -hmm. right? It is about can you get behind this this deep struggle Mm -hmm. for material, Mm -hmm. you know, personal development, you know, all those things Mm -hmm. that really Mm -hmm. are fundamentally Mm -hmm. um, about life on this planet. Mm -hmm. I remember you had mentioned during one of our gatherings that you had you you assign your students this paper of which um, they have to envision a world that they want. Mm-hmm. And it's the most difficult paper for it them. Is. Because so many, you would tell us how so many students are know what they're against. They're mm-hmm. against racism, they're against white supremacy, homophobia. But so many people walk around not knowing what they're for. Right. And if we don't know what we're for, and we are not united against something that is joyful and liberatory mm-hmm. then and generative and generative right. like is that really the revolution we want y'all mm-hmm. like we want mm-hmm. a revolution where we're dancing to shakira right yes <laughs> <laughs> or whoever your favorite you know <laughs> dance music is yeah but we want a joyful that's what we want to look towards yes mm-hmm. rather than what we're looking against right mm-hmm. and also that the joy 
we need to infuse joy into the work we're doing now. Mm-hmm. It's hard, you know, it's painful. Um, at the same time, it for me anyway, I don't know about you all, um, but I know that the work I do brings me tremendous amount of joy, mm-hmm. even in the worst days, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, why? Because I'm doing it with people who I love, right, mm-hmm. is one. And because the work itself is deeply satisfying. To think together, to do together, to imagine together, to write papers, you know, that aren't necessarily just conforming to some academic standard, um, I can do that, but I don't have to do that now, mm-hmm. right? I can write in ways that um, um, are, anyway, you get the idea. Joy, infuse it. Don't. We're not moving toward joy, mm-hmm. but I think we're moving with joy mm-hmm. uh, and um, possibilities, right, and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, love, love, love in the big sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always, I feel like there, every episode there's a moment where I just have, if only you could see my face, where I just, when the guest says something that just pierces my soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just everything. Joy, mm-hmm, love. Mm-hmm, those are the things, like mm-hmm, I said, that mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. to give people what I want to exude in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think when I first joined this podcast, when Bernie brought it up to me, um, I was super excited. Uh, I was like, girl, come. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought <laughs> it was come amazing. come on and do it. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. Really? But I think something that immediately stuck out to me was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be with other women of color who are also, uh, like, you know, clinicians in training, physicians in training. And, you know, we're going to use this space. We're going to talk to other women of color. And, you know, we all have this, like, oppressed identity that's binding us and mm. la-di-da. Mm-hmm. Um but over the course of the semester, it's been so, I mean, obviously we, we do still have this identity, but it has been so much more about what is uniting us opposed mm-hmm. to like the things that are opposing us, right? Mm-hmm. So not just like the things that are making our journeys difficult, but the way that we are resilient mm-hmm. and the way that we are able to rise above and the things that we care about, like the li- liberation of all like, collective liberation mm-hmm. and, um, sharing that joy and just like the things that you're doing with uh, the freedom school and the community clinic and just yes. how we're able like what are we doing actually to come together yes. and build like you said and be generative yes mm-hmm. and that is uh loving and joyful like exuding that joy mm-hmm. i'm just like wow it's really crazy how my mind has shifted um just over the course of this semester doing this podcast because uh, i think it's just so much more healthy yeah. To frame your mind not always mm-hmm. as being like, I'm attacked, I'm mm-hmm. oppressed. I mean, mm-hmm. we all experience these things. And like you said um, earlier, Margot, also the bodies that we inhabit, even mm-hmm. if just because we're exuding it doesn't mean that we're always going to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's also good to be cognizant of, cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely been a very like informative experience for me to just think about, yeah, what what's uniting us? How are we bouncing back? What are we doing um, instead of just dwelling on the, oh my gosh, like this is what I go through as a black woman. Yeah. Cause there is that stuff and it's <laughs> there fine. To, it's, there, it's totally yeah. fine. I mean, it's good to talk about it also, but not every single space has to be about that. Right. And there are other things that we share, like Bernie, you as an Asian American, me as a Nigerian American, like there are things that we can, we still have these identities, but mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just so much yeah, more. Uh, there is, you there know, is. And, and the question is who could we become and 
who are we if we define ourselves in ways other than just being oppressed mm. and under siege, mm-hmm. right? And all those things are true, right? I'm not, again, I'm not negating any of it. Absolutely but not. that's consistent starting place for us, mm-hmm. right? I'm under siege, you know. Rah, rah, rah. What if we started from another place? How mm-hmm. could we recognize being under siege, right? And also some other things that actually may help us become healthier, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. deal with trauma or whatever in, mm-hmm. in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, yeah. what's another starting place yeah. for us? Mm-hmm. And just also, you know, being cognizant that um, the, we have part of having an open heart, I think, Part of being a loving person in the world is being able to recognize somebody who is not recognizable as your ally, Mm -hmm. as somebody you could actually love, Mm -hmm. right, in all the various ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so one, you know, question is, how must we open our hearts so that we can recognize the, the unrecognizable, mm-hmm. whether it's an unrecognizable mm-hmm. parts about ourselves or people who happen to come into our lives or people whose lives we happen to, you know, encounter. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, think, just think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. There was a, a quote that we were reflecting on at the last Freedom School gathering. Um and it was from Adrian Marie Brown's book, Pleasure Activism. Mm-hmm. But it says, you weren't starving before you got here. You were born full. Mm. And so how can we return always back to that fullness that we were born with? And I always, Grace Lee Boggs is always in my mind when she says, who are the people we need to become and embody in order to really enact the world we imagine and envision? Oh, I said that, too. <laughs> I say it all the time. Why is that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is that is the question, right? Because yeah. we've seen so many um, organizations, movements, yeah, uh, post-colonial states, you know, just kind of implode mm. because mm-hmm. we haven't become the people who can do things differently, mm-hmm. right? We end up recreating the same mm. nonsense that got us in trouble in the first place mm-hmm. right and so as we're doing the revolutionary work the transformative work what about ourselves should mm-hmm. we be developing mm-hmm. right what should we be transforming um and i think that's some serious business you call us out on it every time margo every freedom school gathering we're always coming back to that with that you. What did, yeah, what did Margot say in the very beginning? Yeah. With all of that. I think mm-hmm. it's and 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 places you know whoever's listening to this wherever you are <laughs> create freedom schools. Freedom right? spaces. Freedom spaces. Could be schools, it could be another kind of space. Create them, keep them open, do your best to really create spaces where 
people can come alive, be themselves, right? And still be responsible and accountable. Mm -hmm. Free spaces aren't you just come in and do whatever Mm -hmm. you want and take Mm -hmm. no responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Freedom spaces, freedom schools are places of high amount of accountability and responsibility, right? To keep it free, to keep it open, to um, be, you know, spaces where we can be, you know, as fully ourselves as possible, right? It's not a drop-in center. It's a deep commitment Mm. to relationships, to principles, Mm. but our future depends on free spaces wherever you can create them. It could be with three people, four people. It could be with one other person, but you can't just do it by yourself, Mm -hmm. right? It's not an individualistic thing Mm -hmm. here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and it would be great um, if you can... (laughs) <laughs> send examples of how you're doing that, mm. right? Mm-hmm. All you listeners out there who are listening because you're committed, create a space and send to these fabulous, you know, <laughs> podcasters. I don't I think there's a term for you all, but anyway. Podcasters. Podcasters, podcasters works, yeah. right? <laughs> you know. You hip with it. Yeah. <laughs> give, um, you know, give them something to work with. Send in your examples Mm. um, and you can write it in your own language we'll use google translate or whatever to get the get the meaning of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the more spaces we have like this the better Mm -hmm. so thank you both for doing this podcast bernie you for keeping this freedom space freedom school open and then pushing it out to the community Mm -hmm. right um thank you so much our lives are so much richer because of what's happening in this room right now, but way beyond that. And it's it's got to be consistent. It's got to be over time. You know, it's not just a McDonald's thing where you go in and get your burger and eat in the car, right? It is a long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you, Bernie, have to do it for the next 40 years. But I think we have to organize ourselves where it's really intergenerational mm-hmm. and other folk can come and, you know, take it over and it doesn't implode because, you know, Bernie okay. leaves, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that, Margo. Thank you for having me. This is <laughs> such a blast. <laughs> I know, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And now we're gonna we're about to uh, dance to Shakira, y'all, and go out on the street. Oh, that's Margot's favorite. Party. So yeah, hey. I thought you were gonna sing for us. Oh, oh, <laughs> come you on know. now, just give us a song. It doesn't have to be a whole song. A song. Yeah, because you said you love to, you Ooh. love to sing. <laughs> I do love to sing. I'm trying to think what I could sing right now. Yeah, I mean, what oh. me and Evie are also producing some music yeah, this yeah. summer. Okay. You, you know, know what, what you I know mean? What? I'm gonna defer. I think Bern- <laughs> so because Bernie plays the piano hey, and uh-huh. I like to sing. So. Boom. I think maybe maybe for the next episode we'll okay. prepare something. We'll prepare okay. something <laughs> okay. for all of our listeners out hey. there. We'll send it to you first, Marga. Yeah, <laughs> great. Keep those creative juices flowing. Yes, yes, and listen to Shakira. Dance wherever you can. Dance Have a blast. Can. Dance on the street corner. Take your little iPod, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Get your music mm-hmm. out there and just go for you it. You were meant to be here, y'all. Mm-hmm. The and universe is, is for you. Freedom mm. spaces, freedom wherever spaces. We, cre- we can create them. Thank you all so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you.